Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Hung at Heart, a podcast by me, David Ramos. Today I'm joined by one of my very best friends, Jordan Porter, who flew all the way out to Portland just to be, just to be be on this podcast. (laughs) Uh, Jordan is going to be the first of hopefully many guests on our regional perspectives segment, where I'm hoping to bring in people, queer people, from across the country and maybe at some point from across the world to fill us in and tell us a little bit about what it's like being queer um, in other parts of the country. Um, What it's like, you know, being born and raised there, what the community's like there. Um, Because I think for someone like me, who's always lived in Oregon and in the Pacific Northwest, um, you maybe take for granted the way things are where you're at. Um, And I think it's always sobering and refreshing to hear a little bit about what it's like other places. So I think before we get into it, um, Jordan, do you want to go ahead and tell folks just a little bit about yourself? Sure. So um, let's see. I live in Missouri, and I kind of travel a lot as much as I can. So I was very fortunate growing up with um, my parents were both teachers, so we're off during the summertime. We would travel a lot. Um, So that's kind of one of my, used to be one of my big things. I'm a little more settled down now in Kansas City, Missouri, which I think is a really fun city. Um, but it will be a fascinating juxtaposition between the two cities. So I'm kind of looking forward to, to diving into that. Um, I live in KC with my, my little baby, Riley, my year and a half uh, miniature golden doodle. Um, add picture here. Um, and I'm a real estate agent there. I don't know. <clears throat> I'm just kind of building a community out there and enjoying life out there. I love coming to Portland. Portland's one of my favorite cities. I've spent a good amount of time here. To the point that people are always like, where are you going this year? And when I say Portland, they're like, isn't it time to go somewhere else, Jordan? (laughs) And it probably is, but uh, I just have a lot of people here that I love, and so I just keep coming back. Yeah, I mean, people say the same thing to me whenever I go to Kansas City, but I'm still going. But more shade towards Kansas City, and I get that. Yeah, and to be fair, I probably wouldn't go to Kansas City if you weren't still living there. Whereas you would probably still come to Portland if I wasn't living here. Yeah, I mean, not as much. You're definitely a big part of the reason why I love to come here, so. Oh, Um, so I think before we like get into it, I just have a couple questions based off like what you just said. Like when you would travel, because um, I think this informs sort of a part of your perspective. When you would travel with your parents growing up, even though obviously you were younger and your experience as far as like the gay experience was probably very different, where did you travel mostly? Like in the U.S. Like where were some notable places you traveled growing up? Yeah. So when I say that my parents were teachers, the obvious thing about that is they had like the whole summer off. And so as long as they weren't like teaching a summer class or something like that, which they rarely did. But usually what that meant was we were going on a three to five week road trip, which I've since learned is kind of a unique experience. Um, And I'm very fortunate to have had that growing up. And uh, I've heard that a lot of other people haven't experienced that or would still love to. So as a, a young child, we were always going through like, you know, 10 states sometimes, um, just doing like a bonanza trip out West. Um, yeah. And that was a lot of fun. And as a kid, I just really loved seeing new places. Um, we didn't really like eat good food or anything like that. We were kind of like stay in hotel, cheap family, eat out of the cooler kind of situation. But it was really wonderful to kind of be exposed to national parks and things like that at such a young age. And that definitely jump-started my desire to travel and explore and even hike and backpack later. Hmm. And um, were either of your teachers ever like your teacher? My parents? Uh-huh. Yes, actually, well, let's see. My mother was for a brief, I mean, a brief minute, and then they actually moved me to a different class uh, right next door. 
Um, yeah, you know, so she could keep an eye on me, but there was no nepotism or whatever they say. But okay. yeah, I don't think I ever took any of my father's classes though. Were they both like elementary school or? No, that was the fascinating dichotomy that I had. My mother taught kindergarten and my father taught college students. So one of them was always literally my entire life treating me like a little two-year-old mm -hmm. and the other was always treating me like an adult. And did you go to, um, I was going to ask if you went to college where. I, so I, I went to my father's college, yes, because I had free tuition there because okay. he taught there. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Um, okay, that's interesting. Um, so yeah, I think sort of what you were saying about some of your travels and where you got to go during summer vacation um, will definitely lead in really well to some of what I'm hoping we can talk about. But I think I'd really like to start first and foremost hearing a little bit more about like, you currently live in Kansas City, mm -hmm. but where is your hometown? Like, tell us a little bit about like, how big is it? What are the people like? What does someone do for fun there? That kind of thing. So. Talking about these things is kind of fascinating because I don't have like a lot of wonderful childhood memories in my, my hometown. I think maybe I did, but I've just had my share of traumatic experiences with coming out and that kind of overshadows a lot of things there. So I don't really look at my hometown and, and think of like wonderful childhood memories or fun things that you would do there. A little bit about the city though. So the, the city is called Bonterre, which is French for good earth. And the reason it's called that is because there's a big lead mining area. Uh, so obviously that was great uh, when we were initially mining lead and then at some point we decided not to do that anymore and then we got left over with all the chat and lead dust and crap everywhere. Um, so all the money kind of got sucked out of the local economies right there. But it's called the Lead Belt and there's like four or five different towns that are call, all kind of bleed together or they're separated by like 10 miles on the highway or something like that. Um, the town specific city, Bonterre, that I lived in was probably like 4,500 people when I was growing up. I think it's a little bigger than that now. Like my high school graduating class was somewhere around 100, I think. But that's also like combined kind of like areas. Um, <clears throat> yeah. So what you would do for fun there, I don't know. I grew up doing typical things like Boy Scouts and stuff like that, which I loathed, hated it. In fact, I wanted to get out so bad. I was the youngest uh, Eagle Scout in Missouri at the time because that's what my parents said I had to do to get out of it. Um, but we have like a massive mine there that you can, it's called the Billion Gallon Lake that people actually come all over to scuba dive and things like that, surprisingly. Uh, but other than that, I don't know, there's not really a lot to do there. You telling me about being an Eagle Scout is reminding me of that meme that's going around right now where it's like, mom, I want to learn boxing. And the mom's like, no, I'm going to put you in ballroom. And then there's like an intruder breaks in and the person's dancing. I'm just envisioning you doing some like Boy Scout shit when an intruder walks in. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, um, so graduating class really small. I feel like my school was like a lot bigger than that. Um, I feel like my graduating class was like 300 or 400. So that sounds really small to me. Um, was it like in a metro area? Is Bonterre close to like? No, I mean, we're probably, we're about an hour south of St. Louis. So you go through a lot of farmland and things like that. We're pretty disconnected from like St. Louis metropolitan region. So no, it's not really a metro at all. And it's kind of fascinating hearing your perspective on that. This is all, and this is what's gonna make this kind of a fascinating subject for us is regional perspectives. Is sometimes I talk to people and sometimes they have that same reaction where they're like, that is such a small graduating class. And many times I'll also talk to people and they're like, oh yeah, there's like 30 people in my graduating class. Right. You know, and so it's like, it's just all about what you have experienced in life and Kind of juxtaposing that with what other people have experienced, I think. So, if, so it felt like it was a town where like everybody knew everybody's business. Yeah, that was definitely a part of it. I mean, I wasn't really highly engaged with that. I suppose um, it wasn't like the smallest town ever. It was just 
everything was really spread out. I mean, it still it feels town and, and going back or small and going back and visiting it definitely seems that way. Um, but yeah, I think everybody news spreads pretty quickly there. Of course, you know, especially in school, that was everybody was in everybody's business, and that's just that's kind of just how high school goes, though. Right. I hate that. Yeah. Um, is it a conservative town? Definitely, yeah. And that's one of those things that gives me a fascinating perspective is just kind of knowing how many conservative individuals and families think and how they were brought up um, and juxtaposing that with my, you know, opinions and values and things like that now. Um, I would love to say it gives me a lot of patience for the other opinions. Oftentimes it does not, but it does give me a window into kind of like what they're thinking and why they think that way and probably gives me a little bit more empathy than I would otherwise have for it. But definitely a conservative area, um, you know, Trump town, all the other stuff for sure. Yeah, and I think it's interesting mentioning the like empathy for the other side kind of situation or like patience is what you said. Um, because I feel like I living in Oregon live in this like very blue progressive bubble. And in some ways, like I feel like there's an air of like, oh, I don't have to like put up with or like even entertain this perspective because it's just not relevant here in Oregon because it's so overwhelmed by people who feel more similarly mm -hmm. to how I feel. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I think because I live in that bubble, it almost affords me the privilege of being able to maybe be more patient with people about those perspectives because they're not as like, they don't feel as real in the sense of like, it's not really impacting the way things are happening here in Oregon that you feel that way. Yeah. So yeah, let's entertain this conversation because I'm not actually worried about your perspective coming to fruition. Yeah, I feel like you could maybe even consider that a bit of a privilege just in the sense that you live in that blue bubble where it's like, yeah, let's enter entertain this conversation knowing that it's probably not gonna affect me, whereas I live in an area that even though Kansas City, Missouri will vote blue pretty much every time and very reliably, the rest of the state has been, used to be very purple, but now it's very red. And so it's like our voice is on the other side of that, whereas we will be struggling to have that conversation and get people to take us seriously. Even St. Louis? Oh, yeah. St. Louis is probably considered a little more conservative than Kansas City, Missouri is. Huh, that's interesting. Um, especially because, I don't know, I feel like St. Louis is on the Illinois, close to Illinois. Whereas Missouri is close to Kansas, and I feel like Kansas is... So the reason Illinois is blue, though, is because of Chicago, which is all the way up right. in the northern part of the state, right? Everything else down by where St. Louis is is going to be very rural farmlands and very, very red. Okay. Yeah. So actually, we're just kind of like bombarded by both of those opinions. I think something that's fascinating, though, is I've had a lot of clients moving in from the coastal regions, and we'll see how that kind of changes the mix-up. They're all, of course, moving into already blue counties. Um, but that could potentially impact, you know, some larger elections. So we'll see. Yeah, definitely. I mean, even if like on a local level, it's only impacting the part that they're that they're living in. When you think about it on like a statewide level, it has that impact. And I think when you're, whether you like it or not, forced to live in like a state that is like blue or that has a sort of more progressive policy making, you feel those 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 waves throughout the entire state, even in parts that may not have voted that way. Right. Um, so I guess a little bit more back to like, you know, where you were born and raised and your upbringing. So you were born in Bonterre. That's where you were born. I was born in St. Louis, actually. Okay, got it. Was there no hospital in Bonterre? Well, the, bon the hospitals down there, you, you probably would not want. <laughs> yeah, we try not to go to those hospitals. Okay, noted. And um, you have siblings. I do. Yeah, so I'm the youngest. Okay. No surprise. I have uh, an older sister and an older brother. Um, and they both still live in my little home area or St. Francis County. Um, I'm the only one who moved out. Okay. You actually give oldest vibes to me like easily. Okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, youngest. And so what was it kind of like growing up? I mean, I feel like just like 
things obviously can be complicated by dynamics like you're being gay or in the closet or other things, but I feel like typically the youngest is very like spoiled by their parents. Like, did you feel like you had a experience like that? Yeah, so I don't know that I ever felt particularly spoiled because you know, anytime that I was doing like a sport or even Boy Scouts as an example on something that I didn't want to do, it's not like I could just say I'm over it and they would just be like, okay, honey, sure. It was really more of a, no, you're just gonna deal with it. Um, I, I have juxtaposed my experience with like my sisters. My sisters is very unique, um, but she will mention how- Is she the oldest? Yes, my sister is the oldest and she's also my half sister. So when my mother and my father got married and decided to have uh, my brother and I, <clears throat> she had already been along obviously and kind of felt like a little bit of an outcast. And so I'm sure when you, you know, put those two experiences uh, beside each other, uh, you could say that mine might have looked a little more spoiled or got a little more attention or something like that. And I'm not trying to get into my sister's experiences there or even that dynamic. But um, yeah, I'm I'm sure that was a little different. I don't think that I was necessarily spoiled by any means. I did grow up in a in a like a middle class household and very grateful for everything that we had. I don't know. Right, but I mean, regardless of that, like within your house, that doesn't change how people get treated sometimes. Yeah, I don't I don't know. I don't think so. Not that I can recall. Hmm. And um, did you know anyone gay growing up? Yeah, I knew a couple of people. It really wasn't until probably like high school that that started coming about. So I, I kind of, I knew that I was gay at a very young age. Or I, Again, I hear different opinions about this, but I came out when I was 15. I obviously knew like a year or two before that. It's just growing up in a very conservative community, including in a family that went to church and all that. My gut told me that it just probably was not going to be accepted very well. So we kind of like hide that as long as we can. And that's a, I feel like a very common Midwestern experience. So, uh, but I came out when I was 15 and yeah, didn't really get like the rosy experience that I feel like a lot of people get. And that's kind of how it goes. I, I don't really feel like there's a lot of, I don't know, middle of the road. It's either, oh, thank God they're okay with it. Oh, they're very not okay with it. It's one of those two things, you know? Um, yeah, I, I mean, I definitely think that's a regional perspective. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but I, I, like, I had a good experience coming out. Like, it was never a point of contention in my family at all. But I don't know that everyone on the West Coast had that feeling. But I do feel like, generally speaking, I'm under this impression that, like, on the coasts, people have it a little bit easier. Because not only is it just, like, there's gayer cities, you can find community, I feel like, in a way that's, like, super... You know, like San Francisco has the Castro. Like it's like I don't hypothetically, I don't know, you like get kicked out or something, or you're like struggling as like a young gay adult and you don't have support from your parents. Like it's a little bit easier to be like, I'm literally in this like whole neighborhood where like everything is gay and it's right. just it's a different culture and like there's like bigger pride parades and celebrations. And generally speaking, the people on the coasts tend to be a little bit more progressive. Mm -hmm. Um and yeah, do you feel like so like I had a really good experience. Um, I feel like I actually know a few people I would say who maybe didn't have a good experience on the West Coast as well. When you think sort of through the Rolodex of like the people in your life in Kansas City, like how many of them do you feel like had a good experience coming out versus a not good well, experience? Well, so that's fascinating actually. It, it kind of depends because a lot of the people that uh, I know in Kansas City, I'm just starting to get to know it and have community there I feel like. Uh, also are like from that area and grew up there and some even have stories where like their parents knew that they were gay before they did or before they'd come out and kind of ask them or whatever and yeah it's always fascinating to me when I see like these um, queer individuals that have 
like a really good relationship with their families because that's not something that I have. And so even with my parents, like I don't speak to them that much. Um, and so just when I see that dynamic, it's always like, wow, that does exist. It's so cool. Um, but I think what most people, the experience they've had in the Midwest is, if not mixed, it's probably still leaning towards, it's still a very uncomfortable thing to do. It's very difficult, if not more difficult than in some regions like San Francisco, obviously, or Portland, Oregon, or Seattle, or New York, um, to a lot of them probably did have bad experiences when they came out. And I, I do tend to feel like that it, that is going to be a more prevalent experience in like a conservative community or a small town or something like that, where everything is so much closer, you know, and everybody knows everybody and everybody's business is right there on display. Whereas, you know, if you live in New York, it's like, yeah, I know like 100 gay kids, like I don't care. Uh, but in like, you know, Bonterre, Missouri, it's like, oh, everybody knows that one person and they just came out as gay and you're just in everybody's business. Yeah. So I think I, I kind of get mixed things, but it's also not something that I really discussed a lot with some of the people. I will say a lot of my friends um, that I have talked about it with did not have fabulous experiences coming out. Um, and they're also not very close with their, their family. Um, and I think it's kind of just a, um, I don't call it a Midwestern thing, but it's that, that still exists in those regions, my point. And when you put that up against like growing up in Portland, Oregon or San Francisco, which I can't really attest to like 20 years ago, but it just seems like in those areas, you have more people who have gravitated towards like those areas for that reason. They're like, yeah, I wanna, I wanna live near the Castro because I love it. Well, they're seeing gay people walk down the street in jock straps and whatever else every day and everything is normalized for them. You know, it's perfectly fine and normal and they're used to seeing that. And so when their kid comes out as gay, they're like, yeah, that's cool, love that for you. Can't Go wait to meet your partner. Strap, yeah. yeah, have fun. Um, whereas like, you know, that kind of stuff in a smaller area, that's just, it's a much bigger deal there. I think the other fascinating thing is, you know, when you talk about people, maybe one thing in Kansas City that I often um, reflect on is that we'll go to the gay bars and dance and have a really good time and get drunk and stay out till 3 a.m. and, you know, just love every minute. Um, and then somebody recently was there and they went on, a, this was you, you were in Kansas City and you went on a Sunday or a Monday or something like that. Mm -hmm. And he said there was a, like a, a lot of people in like their 50s and 60s maybe, like gay men there. And you just thought it was fascinating that they would choose to go out on a day when it's like dead for everybody else. And the point is like a lot of those people when they grew up didn't have anything even remotely close to what we have today. And so they really kind of bypassed their 20s and 30s. And today this is what they have. And that's a very common experience in the Midwest, I feel like. Yeah, that was definitely an interesting experience being at Missy B's and, yeah. and seeing that. Um, uh, one thing that I'm still sort of thinking about is like, did you have a good relationship with your parents before you came out? Yeah, I think, um, so I was pretty close with my mother beforehand and um, somewhat with my father. I think by the time they got to me, they were a little checked out. My mother was working a lot, you know, and, and to, for, to do due diligence here, my parents weren't like bad parents by any means. Um, that just being gay was like kind of the, I don't know what I should call that. That was the, the big ordeal. Um, but before that, you know, I was always fed. We would do family things, you know, I don't know. I had a, a pretty typical childhood, I don't know. Yeah, I just I was just curious because I think like there's a lot of times there's that that tough situation you find yourself in when like maybe you did have a good relationship with your parents beforehand and then you come out and it's kind of like, I've always been this way. Like I'm still the person you loved that we shared all these beautiful memories and experiences with. And I think it's obviously challenging either way, but I imagine it's especially heartbreaking when it's like, we had something really beautiful and then I came out and suddenly everything is just 
by the wayside. Yeah, I think for me, it was like, I kind of knew that I was gay when I was like 13 or 14. And so... But you didn't know before that? I don't think so. Okay. Yeah. But at that point, maybe I did, I don't know. But by that point, I also had this gut feeling, as I said before, that it wasn't going to go well. And I just kind of knew that from the family dynamic and just just all the usual indicators were there. You know, like we go to church on Sundays. Um, we typically vote Republican in this family. All those things really kind of just pointed in that direction. Um, I did feel particularly, and this is kind of like, there's a lot for me to share this, but I felt very almost aggrieved by my father because he had told me probably like two or three weeks before I came out, I think he told me a story about the dean of his college who had a lesbian daughter. And when she came out to that uh, individual, her father, uh, the dean of that college, kicked her out. Like, and that, that was very common experience in Missouri too. I know a lot, or just growing up in a, a smaller community. I, I know several people who had that experience. It was just like, nope, you're done, see ya. Good luck out there. And my father had told me that story and he said to me, I just could never do that to one of my kids. And so it made me feel very safe for when I did, well, it provided me a false sense of security when I did choose to come out um, a couple of weeks later, I think. And then, yeah, he just was not there for me in that way that I really needed somebody to be there for. So it was, yeah, kind of like a stab in the back. <clears throat> so um, I guess like a couple of things that I'm also wondering is like um, just the other day over Christmas dinner, you were showing me all of these different pictures and things that you would do with your grandfather before he passed away. Mm -hmm. Was he around when you came out? Yeah, he was. <laughs> My grandfather was a fascinating person. Um, and that's one thing I, I am incredibly grateful for because I feel like oftentimes it can be our, the older adults in our family that will be even worse or more conservative about it than our parents will, you know? And that was, I kind of got that flipped around. My grandfather wasn't necessarily supportive by any means. We had the whole conversation um, of you're not gay and all this other stuff, but he was, just one of the most wonderful, kind, benevolent people I've ever known. And so that was like a one conversation kind of situation that we never brought it up again. And we were able to maintain our relationship and, you know, continue to spend time together. And he's a really wonderful person. Um, just kind of had some of those things that older generations might, might have, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I guess I just was curious, like, how that went. Because I think a lot of times when maybe you grow up and you're in a family where maybe they're not supportive, sometimes having that, like, one supportive family member is really like that rock that gets you yeah. through a really difficult time. I also feel like I want to just like name that like, I feel like it was really brave. Um, and I guess like knowing you, unsurprisingly, that you came out at 13. I came, I out, came out at 15. At 15. Yeah. I came out, I guess, to like friends and family when I was like, friends when I was like 14. Mm. But I didn't come out to my family until I was 18. And I knew in my bones it would be okay when I came out. So it was kind of just an interesting perspective that like you came out before you were, you know, because when I was 18, I was like, I'm out of the house. If they don't take it well, so be it. I don't live there. I'm doing my own thing at college. You know, like I just had all these, I felt like I was in a safe place to do it. And you did it when you were still very much reliant on your parents. Yeah, I think it was just, you know, you, you exist with this so much and there comes this like breaking point where you're just like, I just can't keep existing in this transitory space of, I don't know if they're going to be okay with it or how it's going to go. And you, I dealt with that for like a year and a half. And so finally, it was, I didn't even like stage it or be prepared for it or anything. My mother and I were actually in an argument about something because I was an angsty teenager. I wonder why. And it just came to a head. And I just, at some point, just told her. And it changed the whole dynamic of the discussion we were having. Like we were kind of like, 
I don't say like yelling at each other, but you know, when you get in an argument with your parent or something like that, and everything, she just kind of like sits back and everything got quiet. And the first thing she said was, I have to tell your father. And I said, that's not yours to tell, that's mine. And within 30 minutes, my whole family, including my extended family knew, like my brother away at college, my sister who didn't live there, my grandparents, everybody knew. And that was part of like what made that experience so like awful, I guess, yeah. Yeah, really interesting that she, that that was something that was like, I have to tell people, right? I feel like, yeah, interesting, I guess. Um, like, it's not like you like murdered someone and you needed to like cover up the body. Well, I think that's, see, that's a regional perspective as well, because like somewhere where you live, where it's more acceptable and you kind of grow up in a gay area and you see pride flags all the time, you're like, yeah, it's probably not going to be that big of a deal. There might be some little things, but actually in these rural communities, in these small towns and conservative areas, queer individuals are growing up with this like, this is akin to murder. Like these people literally put this in the Bible and they and th it, that's just their beliefs, you know? And so some people would rather you come home and say, yeah, I killed so-and-so rather than you coming home and saying I'm gay. That's That still exists. That's very prevalent in America. Yeah. It's like that question that I feel like goes around a lot. That's like, would you rather have a gay son or a thought daughter? Like in the George Santos interview. Um, yeah, well... Yeah, I, I just, I think that's really interesting. Um, one of the things that I was curious about, um, I'm trying to, I had a question that I'm sort of blanking on right now. Um, so would you say, it'll come back to me, I'm sure. Would you say that as time has gone on, things have, oh, I guess what I was getting at was you stayed living at home after you came out. You didn't yeah. get kicked out. How much longer did you live at home? Was it the kind of thing where like you all were able to connect as long as you like didn't mention being gay? Right? I know some people have this experience that's like, we still love you, but we don't want you to talk about this. Like sort of what was the sort of fallout and year, what were the years thereafter like? Yeah, so that was, I came out when I was 15. <clears throat> and right after that, uh, I pretty quickly was put into like a lot of counseling and therapy programs and all that other good stuff. And that probably lasted until I was like 19. Um, I actually stayed living at my house until I was uh, 27, uh, which is very fascinating looking back on that. But my mother, um, and I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't think my mother is really aware of this, but she was manipulative in a lot of ways. Like uh, I remember when I did move out and I uh, got my own apartment 20 minutes down the road in Farmington, Missouri, she was so disappointed. It's like, your 27-year-old son still lives at home. Don't you think you'd be excited to get them the fuck out of here, you know? But she wasn't. She was disappointed. And she, I, obviously she knew because it meant I would probably be gay and do things like that. Um, so, yeah, we didn't really talk about it that much. Um, I just kind of stayed at home and saved up money. And it really wasn't until I left. I hiked the Appalachian Trail in 2018. And I was away from home for five months. And that's when I started to realize that something was off. And it's just kind of like, I don't know, this experience that I had where I was like, oh, there's something going on there. I probably need to get away from that. Um, and even then, like the next year, I did the next year, that's when I, I moved out in 2019. I quit my job and I went to, I came out here to hike the PCT the first time. And uh, when I got back, I moved in with a, a now an ex of mine. Um, and I literally just moved right in, so. Yeah, but I stayed there till I was 27. Actually, that, that afforded me the ability to save up a lot of money and, and kind of take care of myself later in life. Would I trade those years now? I mean, I'm really not somebody that looks back and says, you know, I wish I'd done this or done that. 
But sure, it'd be nice to have those years of my youth to be gay, but I can't really complain. Yeah, I think what you were mentioning just now about sort of the dynamic with your mom is kind of making me think about like, and I think we may have been talking about this just the other day, how um, when I think about like my coming out experience and sort of how it differed, whether it was because the West Coast or maybe it was just, there's so many different things that go into someone's coming out experience that go just beyond where they live. But I do think that tends to play a role in the trends that we see. Just thinking about how like, um, I first like came out to my mom in like a whole like panic when I was like eight or nine. Mm. And I remember telling her that I thought I was gay and I was crying and there was some other reason why I was really crying and overwhelmed that I won't get into on this. But, um, you know, it, interlinked with that was the fact that I felt like I was gay. And I remember telling her that and her kind of explaining to me, not telling me you're not gay, it's just a phase, but thinking, you know, like you're young, maybe it is a phase, but even if it's not, like I'm going to love you no matter what. And also thinking about how like a few years later when she was living in Arizona and I went to visit her, we would talk about things like relationships and she would always refer to like my future partner. She never said your girlfriend, your boyfriend, it was always your partner. And it was such a like, something that truly is like underappreciated. I think to this day, I think I've maybe said, expressed to her my gratitude for that, but never really taken the time to appreciate how immense that is to hear your parents say something like that where it's very like, they're not talking about my future partner in like a gendered way. It feels mm -hmm. very open, it feels very safe. Um, and so I think I was just having that comparison. Um, did your siblings live at home later um, well? By that point, none of them did. So my brother was off at college and my, uh, my sister had her own family at that time and she was living apart with them, obviously. Okay. Yeah. So when you were living at home, were you just doing like filthy, sinful things in your room? <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess. That's kind of another hallmark, actually. Another fascinating thing of that is, um, you know, especially grow up in like a small town, you really don't have the ability to explore that much. And there's not like a lot of options, if you know what I mean. And then you, you also add on the extraordinarily heavy weight of you're not supposed to be doing those things because you live in a conservative community and everybody frowns on it. Even your family, your caretakers, as I like to call them now, frown on it and don't support it. Yeah, you really don't have a lot of avenues to like uh, explore things or anything. So that's kind of leans into, you know, the internet and things like that, which I think it probably leads into a huge prevalence of kink, actually, because, you know, what else do you do when you're exploring things by yourself? But um, yeah. Yeah, I think I'd be curious to hear a little bit more, I guess, now that we've sort of gone a little over like upbringing and childhood and like coming out like sort of what your early sort of gay experience experiences were um and also I think I don't know if you could touch a little bit more on the fact that you felt like you didn't know you were gay until you were 13 I feel like I knew I was gay when I was like five yeah so I think a lot of that comes I, honestly and I've read this about individuals who have you know childhood trauma um when they struggle to kind of think about or recall childhood memories and there's like a few things there but oftentimes people are like oh I remember doing this when I was like five or six, or I had this memory at this time, I'm like, I don't remember shit about that. Um, I don't know why. Maybe I've just blocked off a lot of that. And I didn't have like a really poor childhood or anything. It was kind of like typical, I feel like. But I don't know. It's possible that I knew sooner than that. I just don't really look back at that time in my life a lot. So I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I feel like when you exist with the anxiety of like this really heavy thing that you're living with, sometimes that can negatively impact your ability to remember it. Like I feel like I remember my childhood really distinctly for who knows what reason I feel like I have a weirdly good memory about those kinds of things. But I remember constantly being plagued with this, like mm -hmm. I would go to bed sometimes with like a pit in my stomach thinking about the fact that I was gay. Mm -hmm. um, 
And yeah, I don't know. It's just, but it was interesting because I just remember when I was in like kindergarten standing like a little too close to the boy in, in front of me in line when we were like walking to the lunchroom or something. Or I remember one time in kindergarten, there was this kid who was kind of like the class, I want to say bully. He was just kind of the kid that just like didn't respect the teacher or whatever. It was like a whole thing. And um, his name was Alexander. And I remember one time we talked about... <laughs> Like during, we would have like these bathroom breaks in between like class and little activities. And I remember one time we talked about showing each other our balls in the bathroom. <laughs> and so we did, we went to the bathroom break and I remember where we were standing on the first floor bathroom by like the room that I was in. I think I was in room five at the time. And we went in there in the bathroom and we like showed each other our balls. And he was like, mine are bigger than yours. And then he pissed all over the floor. And one of the kids is like, Mrs. whatever, like so-and-so pissed up, peed on the floor. This is the exact moment David realized he had a box <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and uh And I just remember being really scared I was going to get caught. Not even because we were showing each other our balls or because of the piss thing. I just was like, oh, my God. Like, how are, how's my family going to take it if they find out that I was, like, doing this thing with a boy in the bathroom or whatever? And like, Which, looking back, is very, like, childish. You right. know what I mean? And so, like, we have this perspective now. But at that time, it was, like, the biggest thing in the world, right? right. And when you're gay, there's that extra layer of, like, I wasn't just a boy being a boy. Whereas, like, straight boys do that crap all the time. Right. You know, you're really not any different at that age, I feel like. Right, but for me, it's because I was a faggot. At that age. So even. I was worried. Got it. Um, that I would get caught. But yeah, so I mean, that was also just interesting. But uh, back to like your, your beginnings of sort of getting into um, your sexual experience, right? Because like I was on Grindr for the first time when I was 15. And I hooked up with someone from Grindr for the first time when I was 17. And so I feel like I had access to those kinds of things. I did do a lot of like Snapchatting or like I had people that I was talking to like on Tumblr or like stuff yeah. like that where I would sort of meet through there. Mm -hmm. But I feel like I definitely grew up in a place where I had a little bit more access to like real life sort of experience right from the get go than you sure. did. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like I didn't really have any options until I started obviously getting in high school, which I, that's fine. Obviously I wouldn't have went before that, but, um, and even then it was very restrictive. Like there were really only like a couple of uh, guys in high school even that were like out or that you knew were gay. Um, so I don't remember when I first got on Grindr, honestly, have no idea, but you know, we just had a lot less options it felt like. And then you add in all the, again, very heavy weight of the other things of like, you live in a very small community and you cannot be seen. You should not be seen. You know what I mean? And for me, you've already gone through this with your parents. It did not go over well. Cause that's by that time in high school, I'd already been through all that. You're currently seeing Christian counselors and all this other bullshit about it. It's like, you definitely cannot be seen doing this stuff and you probably shouldn't engage in it and all that other stuff. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, I don't, my first high or my first experience was in high school. Um, and it was just, you know, we went on a date, went to a movie and afterwards he asked if I wanted to do anything. I said, no, we ended up doing it anyway, which was a whole thing. Um, and it was kind of like anticlimactic, literally. <laughs> <laughs> for me anyway but um yeah that was like probably the first experience i had and then the other thing was just all these cities were so like spread apart um it's just like i don't know just seemed like there were a lot of barriers for me and a lot of those i kind of created myself as a trauma response i think but it's also like i'm gonna you know nowadays we're like i'm not gonna drive like 20 minutes for dick like back then it was like yeah you're driving 20 minutes to get anywhere That's you know today. so if you want i know 
but it's like if you want it, you're gonna have to go get it. Right. And then it's like oh, growing up small communities of just like there weren't a lot of options. Mm. And um, I think this might be backtracking a little bit, but I'm just so curious to hear like, do you remember who your first like real crush in school was? Yes. Um, so I can I remember. Um, it was somebody who told me their experience later and we'd always kind of wanted to connect and there's a few heartbreaking things here for me anyway. Um, but there's this guy named Joey and I was good friends with like his sister. Um, but I knew I always kind of wanted to spend time with him and, and make out with him and all that other good stuff. Anyway, so, uh, we didn't really have a lot of opportunities and he was like a grade or two above me. Um, I also was not like out, out. I'd already come out to my parents and it just didn't go well. So I didn't like really come out to the rest of the community or, you know what I mean? My school or anything. Um, but he came out to your parents first. Yes. Mm -hmm. But anyway, so he was, he was very out and everybody knew it. And I, I heard the story later and it kind of breaks my heart a little bit because that wasn't really like by his choice or any means. And that's just kind of how it is, especially in small towns. Um, but anyway, so we, I think my parents kind of knew. And so there was like, Joey, I didn't know about this until later. We had an opportunity to spend time together. And he pointed out, he said, do you remember that time we were hanging out at the ball field? And I was like, no. Um, he said, yeah, we were doing this, that. And it kind of clicked. And he said, yeah. And then your dad came up and separated us. And it was just like a very innocent kind of thing that like any normal person would have. If it's like a straight person, you know, like they're going to have a crush and they're going to spend time with them and maybe make out with them while they're in high school or whatever. Um, and just the kind of looking back on that and having him tell me, yeah, your parents like separated us because they knew, you know, and that was our, our opportunity. So then we, we just went separate ways. And then it was like not that long ago that we had an opportunity actually to spend some time together and talked about that story and everything else. It was very fascinating, mm -hmm. but he was my first crush. Okay. How old were you? My goodness. <clears throat> 16, somewhere in there. Okay. Got it. Wow. Like um, yeah, I was like momentarily thinking about who my, um, first crush was, but then I get, got sort of caught up just envisioning the whole, the concept of like parents witnessing their child be experiencing a connection like that and be forming this really special bond with someone and just like even remotely feeling the need to be like, I need to walk up to that step and in. put that, put that to a stop right. as opposed to like oh, like I'm kind of having a little bit of a hard time with the fact that like I'm realizing that maybe my son might be into other men, but like what a special thing. I know what it was like the first time I felt that way towards someone. Right, yeah. And so I think that's why I tend to look back at a lot of my childhood memories and not really, I, I don't have access to a lot of them, I feel like. I don't put a lot of stock into them. So I, that's, that's why I struggle sometimes when people are like, do you remember this? Do you remember that? It's like, not really. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But that's kind of like when we come out, we're all hoping for that obviously that rosy experience of it's okay, it's fine, you know, but there's only like really two ways that that goes. That's my perspective from the area that I grew up in is you have two directions that's going to go in. It's either going to go in, great, that's fine. I love you. You're good no matter what. And a lot of times those parents know that that's such a big ordeal that they're going to embrace them and, you know, really make them feel safe and, and comfortable and all that. Or it is like the total opposite. It is like, you're going to conversion therapy, you're getting out of this house, you know, whatever, all those stuff. It's like all the ultimatums get given. Yeah. It's a fork in the road. And with that, I need some more wine. Okay. Into it. There's no, there's no good way to hop back into it. Beep, boop. Um, my first crush growing up that I really remember being like strong. I feel like there's a lot of boys that I kind of had little crushes on growing up, but I remember my first like really big crush 
was on this kid named Diego in middle school, which is funny because that's my porn name now. There's, there's connections so there. Um, and I think it's also cute, like, go Diego, go. And like, even though I've go-go danced a few times under my name, David, sometimes I think it'd be cute, like, go, go, David, but it's written in a way where it's like, go Diego, go, like that Dora the Explorer spinoff. Mm. I don't know if you're familiar with it. It's not as iconic as Dora, but I'm not gonna make my like porn name Dora, mm -hmm. so. Insert photos of David and Dora costumes. Right. Um, so yeah, but I remember like some of my early experiences, like when I first started like, <laughs> um, like being a little bit more sexual when I was like 13, I feel like I knew I was gay much sooner, but when I really actively started like stepping into like I'm having crushes on people and I'm kind of doing things about it, I feel like I was like 13, 12, 13, and I remember I used to do things like <laughs> jerk off while looking at pictures of the boys I had crushes on in my yearbook. Okay. And I have those yearbooks right there. There's probably come on some of them. <laughs> like, well because it was like the way that I sort of accessed that. And like social media was starting to be a thing. And so that was a little bit of a like, mm -hmm. there's, there's this innocent, like instead of watching porn, sometimes I was more into like, I'm gonna jerk off looking at a picture of this boy that I have a crush on at school. Yeah. Um, or obviously sometimes I would see porn, like a lot of times I used to look up like celebrity fakes, which are now miles better than they were back then. Yeah. But you know, I used to look up those things. Sometimes I'd go like on Omegle and I would like jerk off with guys or I would talk to them there. I'd go in these like chat rooms and connect with people. Um, and those are some of my like earliest sort of explorations of like my sexuality. But like I said, it didn't take long. But once I was like, relatively close to adulthood it was kind of easy to just dive into the grinder space a little bit better um can you elaborate a little bit more on some of the like specifics of like things you sort of did to start exploring yeah so um i think chatting online with guys which was a that's a very common experience i feel like we all kind of start there a lot of people do anyway um that was probably the big thing you would find people that you could chat with on like kick you know which is like miles gone or dead or whatever and whatsapp and all the other crap um, but you would just find people that you could snap or you could, you know, chat with and, you know, kind of learn some things there. It's fascinating. You point out your yearbook. My medium was just like porn you could get on the internet. But when my parents found out that I was gay, they canceled our internet because they oh. figured that I could find porn on there. So this is wild. But what I would do is I would go find, I'd take my laptop and go find people who had unsecured Wi-Fi networks because that was a thing back then. People didn't like put passwords on their Wi-Fi networks and I would just use that to download porn and then watch it later. You know, it's kind of fascinating all the different mediums that we use to like explore this and like how some people will move into the physical realm much quicker because of the upbringing they had and some people won't because of the upbringing they had. Yeah, so I would do that. I don't know. The one website that comes to, to memory for me was called blboys.com, and I have no idea what that stands for. That was an easy one. I think I know I listen to people talk about like gay.com, and I think that's, that's a little before me or something like that. But um, yeah, so those are kinds of the things that I would do. You never cammed on like Omegle? I, I, would, I would do like pictures and videos on like Snapchat or Kick. Okay. Yeah. Um... That reminds me of this one time when I was like 15, visiting my mom in Arizona. I used to stay up really late because like what else does a teenage boy do? Mm -hmm. Even an adult boy shit, when I have time off and I don't have obligations, I stay up really late. And I remember one time I was um, camming on Omegle and I was like showing off my hole to some dude on camera and my mom was like, she would get up for work around that time. And I remember she like walked into my room 
and saw what I was doing because I was like on all fours, like showing off my hole. Uh-huh. And she was just like, oh, and she like closed the door. And I was like mortified <laughs> for like a multitude of reasons, right? Like, I don't think I'd come out yet. Um, also just like, I was a teenage boy showing off naked yeah. online. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was like a multitude of reasons why I was nervous. And she just texted me and said, breakfast is cooked. I'm leaving to work. You're welcome to chill in my, like be in my room. If you like, after seeing what I was doing with my free time, she was like, you're welcome to hang in my bed. Yeah. Um, wow. And we never talked about it. And it was just so like, I just imagine if your mom had walked in on you on doing something like that, it probably would have been a very different experience. Yeah, honestly, your experience... Chef's kiss. Right. So ideal. Yeah. I actually have a similar, I feel like I have a similar story where, um, this was when I was hiking the Appalachian Trail, actually. So I'm like, you know, 1500 miles away from my parents. Thank God. And I I think I was like, I had an old iPhone that was, we were going to sell to a family member or something like that. And so they were wiping it remotely. And so I had to give them the passcode. Of course, all of my photos and things were still on there. And so just being the nosy parents that they were, I guess. And at this point, I'm like 24 or 25 or something. And they just went through it. And of course, found a video of me like playing with a butt plug or something like that. And they called me while I'm on the trail. And they're like, Jordan, we need to talk about this. And I was like, we are not doing this. Not happening. But I think it's really beautiful that hiking the Appalachian Trail was that sort of experience for you where you realize a lot of those things. Because when you grow up, you know, and I always tell people this, like, you don't always realize that there's certain dynamics in your household that are a little bit weird until you meet someone else who's like, that's kind of strange that your parents did that. And so I I think it's so beautiful that like, obviously doing something like hiking the AT is probably life changing as it is, Mm -hmm. but doing it and doing it in a way where it was like, it really led, set the path, paved a path for me to be able to like exit the house that I was in and really start to come into my own is really beautiful. Yeah. That's the importance of the other perspective though. It's like, you're not going to be, if you don't expose yourself to those things that you've never experienced before or other people's perspectives or anything like that, then you're always going to be doing the same things that you are currently doing. So if you want to change, expose yourself to other cultures, other people, other ways of doing things. And you'll kind of start seeing, oh, you know, I've always done it this way, but maybe this way works. And the same is true with even your family, like normal things. Like, a lot of us don't realize how fucked up our families are until we start spending time with other people's families. I remember uh, my ex, when I went to meet his family, and they were just like effusively, you know, I don't know, they just loved me so much for being there and, and for being his partner and whatnot. It's the first time I've met them. And I was like, this is the weirdest thing. Because at that point, I had introduced like my parents to people, like guys that I was dating. It was like a horror show, awful at every point. And it was just wild to see that other perspective and that other way that people live their lives and treat their family members and all that other stuff. Um, so I, I want to sort of fast forward a little bit or not even fast forward. It kind of feels like it's just naturally sort of where, where we're getting to, but like a little bit more about like your experience more like modern day as like a gay and yep. your gay experience in Kansas city. So when you moved to Kansas City, sort of where were you at in your life and how do you feel like your experience as a gay man changed? So I moved to Kansas City. I literally, I had been traveling for work. Um, I was constantly living in a hotel room in Kansas City, basically. And then I came out here to do the PCT and I'd quit my job. And then I moved right in with a guy that I had met beforehand and, and dated and spent some a little bit of time with. And so I moved in with him. And that was at the end of 2019. And then the pandemic hit. So that was my intro to just anything other than what I had known living at home. Uh, and so for the next like a year and a half, it was like I was, you know, building my business and building a relationship and all that. 
And within that relationship, I really didn't feel like I had the room to make gay friends. There's a lot of jealousy and things like that, so I didn't, and plus the pandemic made it hard, obviously. Mm -hmm. So it's really not been until like the last year and a half or two since I, I started kind of making friends in Kansas City um, and building that network that I never had because when I was growing up, I, wasn't, I just didn't socialize with a lot of people. I didn't feel safe doing that. Um, yeah, so currently, I mean, I have a, a nice little network and a lot of friends in Kansas City. I'm very grateful for that. Um, but yeah, when I moved there, I was in a relationship, so I wasn't really exploring or doing that much. I wasn't really making a lot of friends. And then uh, once that individual and I separated uh, for like the fourth time, we started, or I started kind of building friends and exploring the community a little bit. It's actually a really wonderful community. There's one thing that I will take away. Life has kind of, I don't want to say kept me in Kansas City, but it keeps putting really wonderful people and things on the table for me. Um, and I'm really grateful for that. Um, there are times where I think I would love to live elsewhere and might be served, you know, better living somewhere in the Pacific Northwest or even in New York or something like that. But honestly, the community there has been really fabulous and the people there are really wonderful. And I'm really grateful for that. Yeah, I think a lot about like when I go visit um, and sort of what my experiences are there. And I think it's always interesting because I have this like take of what I feel like the Midwest is like and what Midwestern gays are like and what the culture is like. Mm -hmm. um, but sometimes, you know, I have to ask myself, like, well, is it that way because it is that way or is it that way because you're a visitor? And when you're visiting somewhere, everything naturally feels a little bit more fresh. It's less cluttered by these, like, dynamics that you develop. You're not jaded about certain people or certain things or certain areas because it's all so fresh. Um, I just kind of feel like it's generally, like, a little bit warmer. And I've always felt like that goes back to the fact that, like, on the West Coast, we can take gay community for granted. Yeah, because it's so well-rooted here and it's everywhere. I mean, there's not a single street, I feel like you drive down in Portland, Oregon, where there's not a pride flag. That would have been unimaginable in the city that I grew up in. Mm -hmm. You know, that flag would have been ripped down and burned. Yeah. <laughs> and like here, or I mean in Kansas City, it's far more prevalent. I've had a, a pride flag up since I bought my house and nobody's ever messed with it or anything. It's a pretty progressive little bubble, which is nice. Where are, what would you say are like your top three favorite gay spaces in Kansas City? Okay, so we were just talking about this at breakfast this morning uh, with a couple other people that spent time in uh, Kansas City. One thing that I've noticed, um, Kansas City really has a wonderful gay bar scene, and this, that's, that's another fascinating regional perspective, um, because like... Our gay bars are, are, they're very, I don't want to call them intense, right? But everybody appreciates them, supports them, goes to them. Um, and they're kind of like, they're just huge gathering spaces. They're like neighborhood centers for us. Uh, whereas here in like Portland, it can kind of feel like, I don't know, we just don't really find that in a lot of the bars here. Um, so like my top three spaces there, like gotta be right up there. I'd, I'd be highly remiss not to point out Missy B's, which is, even though I didn't grow up there, it's kind of integral to my gay experience. I'll never forget the first time that I went there. It was just like this, just very grungy, dark, two-story, double dance floor, you know, grungy booths, like piss-soaked, you know, carpets and everything kind of situation. Uh, but everybody is just having a good time. Everybody's there to dance and be happy and socialize and all of that. And it was just, I remember that, and I was just very curious about it the first couple of times that I went. It was really wonderful. Now it's kind of a mainstay. It's the spot you go to after you've been to the other bars. Mm -hmm. um, another one is, I'm gonna say, Queer Bar Takeover. And the reason I'm gonna say that is like a, it's, they have like this moving kind of like bar that every month takes place at a different place and we'll take over what's called, you know, like a straight bar, like a bar that's not normally queer. Um, and so from like nine to midnight, that's we dance there, we drink there, we socialize there, et cetera. And that's, going to that really made me realize 
I don't know this community because like every time there's people that show up and, and they're not people you've seen before. And one thing that we're guilty of in Kansas City is saying that we have a small gay community. People say it all the time. But it doesn't change the fact that I still go out to these bars, even though you know, I could do it weekend after weekend after weekend, and I still run into people or meet people or see people I've never seen before. So I think those two are really like the big hitters in terms of queer spaces. And then the other one is would have to be the bathrooms at Home Depot. <laughs> <laughs> Love. Um, I know I'd spend time there if I lived in Kansas City. Home Depot is yeah, always yeah. a home run. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. And yeah, I mean, in my time visiting, and again, I don't know if it's the kind of thing where it's like, I live in Portland, maybe I take it for granted, maybe it's not as fresh, it's not as exciting, but whenever I go to gay bars like Missy B's or Woody's, it always just shocks me because you just don't find gay bars like that here. Um, it like, Woody's to me is very akin to like San Francisco, San Francisco's Eagle, mm-hmm. which is saying something. I yeah. mean, that's a, that's a big deal. I feel like I've been to gay bars in a lot of different places and like Woody's really just has this, like, there's a ton of people there. It's kind of big. I feel like it's kind of big. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people there. I mean, it just it feels like a really great experience, perhaps a little bit more conservative than the Eagle in San Francisco just because it's the Midwest, it's the Midwest. right? But, like, it still is just, like, there's such great gay bars. There's such good experiences. Um, and I just think that's really interesting. Um, so hot take regional perspective <clears throat> on bars in Kansas City versus, like, Portland, Oregon, for one thing. You know, and this is something that I feel like you and I have talked about, and I, I kind of bring this up um, when this bar conversation comes up. Like, our bars are heavily, like, they're integral to our experience, and they're like havens in many ways. And if you look at what the experience in Kansas City probably was like 30 or 40 years ago, I remember I was listening to one queer individual who was like a, a movie director, and he came back to Kansas City to do some, you know, queer film that he'd done or something like that. And he was talking, it's like, it's so weird for me to see people like coming to Kansas City being gay, having a good time, because when I was growing up here as a queer man, I could not get out of here fast enough. Um, these spaces that are actually old, you know, like Missy B's has been there for a little while, were very important to a community that did not have representation outside of those bars and didn't have the ability to necessarily like, you know, they didn't have the apps, they couldn't hook up like we do, and they had a lot of family and social pressures at that time. And so those bars were important spaces, right? And so we kind of like, like protected those and and even made them better as time goes on maybe i don't know whereas somewhere like here in portland you know it's so progressive that it's kind of like you have a lot of spaces somebody was telling me this morning that they feel like the apps are the reason why the bars haven't really done well here created that kind of social ambiance that we might have in busier bars in like san francisco or whatever and that can be true san francisco would be the the odd thing out you know because like well it's so progressive there and those bars are super fun and everybody goes there and dances and has a good time, so what's the difference? But point being, we probably have kind of like protected ours and like they're just so important to us as a community. I think that's really sweet. I think there's some spaces like that here, but generally speaking, like I feel like I've heard of a lot of different gay spaces that have like closed over time and I don't know that it feels like it's like the same level of like camaraderie and community. Um, I think like the Eagle, I would say here is the closest thing we have to that. Um, but yeah, I feel like there's, there's really lacking this place that's like, you know, like Missy B's. I think it's such a beautiful experience where it just feels like everyone's in community and everyone's experiencing joy and enjoying queer music. And, you know, I just think it's really wonderful. I will say that one thing that I don't feel like I've seen as much in Kansas City is like (sighs) queerness as much as gayness. Like if you go to Twirl, there's tons of men or non-binary people who show up in like 
heels and they're wearing makeup and it's like a whole thing. Mm -hmm. I feel like drag queens are really reveled there and there's a lot of wonderful, some of my favorite drag queens are, are from there. Yeah. Um, and um, like that's a thing, but in terms of like a queer, like a non-binary person, like that kind of thing, I feel like that's not as prevalent. So there. Twirl is kind of like our queer bar takeover. Mm -hmm. And like, I, I would venture to say, yeah, probably like gender expressionism or whatever might feel even more comfortable and safe in somewhere like Portland, Oregon than anywhere in the Midwest. And I think that's a valid argument to make. But at the same time, you'd have to come to Queer Bar Takeover and see it because I think there's definitely more more on display there than what you would just see at the bars. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. it, regardless of which city you were in. Yeah, definitely. How do you feel like the people differ in terms of like maybe how they engage with you on, like for example, when we first met, we exchanged a few messages on Grinder, and you were on your way. Is that like a common thing there? Do you feel like people um, show up on the apps and just yeah. generally speaking differently? No, I think it's a little different. I think here, again, because it's just such a progressive community, people have been out for ages, you know, whatever they had good, I'm gonna say they had good experiences maybe coming out growing up, or, or they just existed in a community that was very accepting of it, whereas in mid these Midwestern cities, you don't necessarily see that in my experience. So everybody's a little more guarded, they're probably a little more demisexual, and they probably need a little more trust before they do that. There are definitely some people that are like, let's go, let's do this. Um, I think the most fascinating thing about like the apps there, at least for me, 100% of the people that I would try to like engage with, it's a no-go. It's I always work off the people that interact with, that start the conversation with me. You know what I mean? And I think that's, I genuinely think that's true in most cities that I'm in. Um, but yeah, I think that- It's a no-go as in like you just don't try or yeah, when you try it doesn't work out. Oh, see, if I went by the people who messaged me first, I'd never have sex. I feel like almost everyone, of like a, a vast majority of people I have sex with, I message them You know first. what, I've seen you, you're like, you're like on the plane, on the tarmac, just landed in Kansas City, like tap, 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 yeah. tap, 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 tap. Hey, handsome, hey, handsome, <laughs> hey, handsome. I'm gonna be at this terminal from 11.37 to 11.41. We have four minutes, I can yeah. give you head. Yeah. I can receive head, but I'm not really looking for that. Send pictures, I'll be there in three minutes. Yeah, so don't feel too special if you ever get that hey, handsome from David, because 30 guys just got it. <laughs> there are certain things that people should feel special about. Let's be clear, I don't well, offer everything just, to everyone. Okay, a little soft moment. Anybody who gets attention from David should feel special. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, and so uh, you've said a little bit about how people sort of just like engage like on the apps. I think one sort of other thing that I'd be curious to hear about is sort of just like in terms of like, their openness to like kink and different sort of things. Like, do you feel like people tend to be more vanilla in the Midwest? So kink is a whole nother episode, I feel like. Uh, there are many, many things that I could talk about, especially from a regional perspective there. Um, whereas like in the Midwest, like the fascinating things there is that I mentioned earlier that many individuals, I feel like if you don't feel like you have the safety or the ability to explore physically with people, you're gonna do that online, of course, growing up which is naturally going to, I feel like, almost lead you down the road of kinks. And the reason for that is because there's like a Pandora's box put around being gay. You know, maybe it's from your family or the taboo of the community or whatever it is. Well, then you don't go at it directly. You find other little ways, and those little ways are kinks. And I feel like that's kind of how a lot of that develops, just in some of those communities and things like that. Um, so in reality, like, you could kind of find a stronger sense of kink in the Midwest, but it still can be like a non-starter. For people um, and we can really get in the depths in that either now or another time if you want but out here like 
I don't know, something like San Francisco that has like Folsom, of course you can, you know, have whatever you want and everything is acceptable and there's a space and a niche for everybody. Um, the other thing is like, you know, your individual kinks aren't non-starters for other people. They're like, yeah, I'm just not into that rather than being like, not into this. Whereas like kind of in the Midwest, it's like, mm -hmm, yeah, I'm just not into it. You know, does that make sense? Definitely. Yeah. I think kink is such a fascinating perspective and I don't, I don't know how much it varies per areas. I think the acceptance of it and the willingness to like go, to go outside your comfort zone is stronger in areas where it's acceptable like San Francisco, Portland, et cetera. Whereas in the Midwest, you feel like you have to guard those and be very careful around them. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Definitely. Um, I feel like we have sort of covered a lot of things that I was sort of curious to chat about mm -hmm. in terms of like what your experiences was growing up as a gay man, learning and hearing a little bit more about that and sort of what that experience was like as well as learning about your coming of age, if you will, or coming, coming of gay or something. Um, and sort of like what your experience is there now. I think I would be curious, I guess like before we maybe like close out to hear like, if there's a lesson that you feel Kansas City can take from Portland and a lesson that you feel Portland can take from Kansas City, if any at all, huh, what would you maybe say? A lesson that Kansas City could take from Portland and vice versa. Yeah, I think that, I, I assume you mean in terms of like queer community and right. like queerness and whatnot. More broadly, if you'd like to make a take outside of the scope of well, this Well, I mean like the two cities are very fascinating and I love Portland because of like, you have all these just like wonderful little neighborhood centers that are just so cool, you know, and like Kansas City doesn't really have that. We have like Westport, you know, or whatever. That's true, Midtown uh, doesn't really have a like like yeah. little streets like a Mississippi mm -hmm. or Division or even Hawthorne, which I never go to. But point being, like we don't really have a lot of that there. Those are the kinds of lessons I would take away from that because Kansas City was designed as a very like drivable city. Not originally, we just like fucked it up and destroyed beautiful buildings and neighborhoods and things like that. Uh, whereas Portland's kind of latched a little bit onto its neighborhoodness, you know, and Kansas City's kind of lacked a lot of that. But in terms of the queer community, the first thing I would say is, Portland could definitely pick up on what we offer in terms of like queer community and bars. I don't mean that from the just like drinking culture alone, but just like spaces that people come to and they feel safe at. And I recognize and admit that there are a lot of people who have not had great experiences, even at some of our bars. I'm not trying to like put them up on a pedestal, you know? Um, but I do think that Portland lacks a lot of those spaces. Uh, and I think it would be a lot of fun to have those spaces. It's kind of up to Portlanders to decide if they're important to them or not. If they feel safe already without them, maybe they don't need them. But I think there, it's just a, a lot of fun to have a space that is queer, belongs to the queer community, and you get to hang out and just, you know what I mean, have fun, be who you are, let go, not worry, and just have fun. Um, so that's one thing that I think at Portland could take away from KC because I feel like we really do, we go above and beyond in, in those areas, especially for a Midwestern city. In terms of what I think like Portland could take, or Kansas City could take away from Portland, um, <clears throat> it's, I don't want to say that I'm, I'm struggling for that. Um, be, I, I'm just trying to like, I guess you could just take you know, note of some of Portland's progressiveness, which is really admirable and notable and would be just a gift to have to many of the queer individuals who have yet to come out or growing up now or you know, queer youth or are about to come out. Um, I think it'd be really wonderful if they had, wonderful if they had those spaces and just like the general air of progressiveness that Portland has, which we 
we're starting to have, but we kind of lack. Mm. I think Kansas City could stop being as prudish as it kind of is. Oh, I'm go. like, listen, I sent you a message. I sent you my nudes. Give me your location. Let's do it. Let's be. Okay, but you're like business with this I stuff. I know. Well, I'm, when I'm visiting somewhere, I don't have time to entertain this like longer thing. But this is also your perspective visiting the city, not living in it. Right. But yeah, Kansas City is a wonderful town. Really if is. you've never been there, I strongly recommend. A lot of people pass it off as being flyover territory. Mm -hmm. It's a comparable size to Portland, perhaps a little more sprawling. The metros are very similar size. Yeah, they're a very similar size. The communities are a similar size. I think both Portland and Kansas City both have kind of smaller gay communities. I think Portland draws in a little bit more from like, you know, Seattle or maybe not as much from California, but like there's sort of a little bit of a, a connection there. But like Seattle and Portland are about as far away as Kansas City and St. Louis are. Yeah. Um, you know, and so, um, yeah, I think there's a lot of similarities in a lot of ways. I think there's just sort of that West Coast flair versus that Midwestern touch. Um, and I feel like flair and touch are good words yeah. for how I would describe mm -hmm. The West Coast thing versus the Midwest thing. Um, and the South, like Southern, would be like a tender kiss. You know what I mean? Like it's slightly more impassioned. Than the Who Midwest. doesn't want a tender kiss? I know. So, what part of the country is like a passionate kiss? Like, <laughs> I love this question. Um, I, I, you know, I want to say California, but it's kind of for problematic reasons. I'm like, I'm like, oh, there's a lot of Latinos. And then Latino, <laughs> but that's kind of problematic. I'm leaning towards San Francisco area, like the Bay Area. Oh, I feel like it's... I don't know. I just feel like the experiences I've had there are very, like, carefree. Everybody's like, yeah, we're living our best life and just... But it's also like they wake up the next morning and go do it again with someone else. As opposed to, like, we shared a passionate kiss and, and it's that like... That's the life of David Ramos. Right. Ladies and gentlemen. Anyways, cheers. Okay. Cheers.